Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, this day, we do thank you. We thank you that you are the one who defends us, but you do it through your men and women. And you do it through, Lord, people who have been willing to run into a building, burning building and not out of it. Who have been willing to uh, go in and in the middle of fire and face it uh, to protect someone else. Who have been willing to go places they never wanted to go and fight and give their lives uh, so that we would be free. We thank you for the freedom. And we do pray, O oh God, uh, that you would give us a great heart of thanksgiving and then a celebration for the freedom you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Ready for the word? We're going to go to uh, John chapter 13. This is the topic I've wanted to preach for years, the secret to happiness. You think I'm a crabby preacher. And, and I must say, you do take a pretty strong message, and I, I, don't, I don't water stuff down much. I probably should, but I, <laughs> but I pretty well give it to you both barrels. I, I remember when I was a young pastor, I mean, Brand, Brand, I was still in seminary, and one of the first times I ever preached, I preached that I was working in a little Presbyterian church, and then I got up there and I preached. I, I think I can still remember, I preached on, on, um, on when Israel looked over the walls and you had 185,000 Syrians dead. Yeah, how did, never mind. But when I walk, you know, you proceed, and I'm, I'm in my robe in the whole bit, and you proceed down the aisle, and I came to the end, and we had this old missionary pastor um, who worked on, on the staff there, and uh, he, he greeted me when I got into the foyer, and he looked at me and says, that was wonderful, young man. He said, you'll have to come back and give us the other barrel sometime. <laughs> and, and I realized I'd been maybe just a bit aggressive, you know? <laughs> Uh, so you, anyway, you've been, you've been dealing with both barrels for a long time. So this is a, this topic, the secret to happiness. I, I actually believe that Jesus is giving us today the secret to happiness. And, and, and it's, it's maybe not what a lot of people would think it is, but he gives it and we're going to learn about it. So John chapter 13, we'll start at verse 12. One more time, I want to watch that foot washing and hear one comment that he makes in it. Because he says something that I, I went sailing by the first time. I saw it, I read it, but I didn't realize uh, until I was really doing it in the Greek what he had just said, and then that stopped me right there. Starting in verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, you recall, they're in the upper room. This is the night in which he's betrayed by, um, by probably 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the, in the morning. He will be arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane by the religious police. Uh, all that's ahead of him. But this evening, he's packing full of teaching with his disciples. And it's a, it's a Passover meal. It's a Passover night. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments uh, and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example 
that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Would you read that verse 17 out loud with me? If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. One more time. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And I'll explain to you what I see there. And then I, I'm going to skip the next couple of verses, and we can talk about that another time. That has to do with Judas. But he says, he concludes this, his remarks in verse 20. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. Would you say that? He who receives whomever I send. He who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Amen. Open the word to us, Lord. Grace me to speak it. Amen. All right. We're going to talk about the secret of happiness, to happiness. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. You would think that the way to happiness would be by serving ourselves. But a self-centered life ends up being very depressing. At first, it might seem to work, but as time goes on, it produces anger. Life never seems to give us all we feel we deserve. And people seldom love us the way they should, so resentments build, leaving us angry. And that anger invariably drives people and happiness farther away. Until at some point, we realize that life will never give us the satisfaction we longed for. When that moment arrives, there's a real danger that hopelessness may set in. And if it does, we will look at the rest of our life and wish we didn't have to live it. It's counterintuitive. Jesus is going to give us the secret to happiness. And he's going to say it is exactly in the opposite direction from what you think it is. We think that if, if by pursuing what we want, pursuing what would be best for us, by gathering as much as we can to ourselves, that would be where we find happiness. When I was young, the, 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 the saying was, you got to look out for number one. And number one was yourself, not God. <laughs> so we were looking out for number one. Nobody else will, so you got to take care of yourself. And so you just sort of ferociously went after it. Whatever was for you, it, it, uh, you, you'd go after that. Now, I'm, I'm, I've watched my generation then go through the years. We talked about idealism early on, but that, that went quickly, by the way. And we just began to pursue all the money and pleasure and things we could find as hard as we could get it. And what I look at now, by and large, with my generation are people who, for the most part, are angry and alone. We pursued pleasure. We pursued our own stuff. And what it produced in us was sourness. A lot of angry, lonely people sitting home drinking. That's what's going on. That's where it ends up. So Jesus says, you want the secret of happiness? I'm going to tell you the secret to happiness. And it's not where you think it is. But there is a solution. We don't have to end up angry and depressed. Jesus says there is a way to find true happiness. The kind of happiness that only God can give. On that final evening in the upper room, he showed his disciples the secret and, and then said, if you've watched what I've done and understand what it means, and then actually put that truth into practice, you will find true happiness. And what they had just watched him do was humbly serve them. So that's the secret. A life of humble service produces 
true happiness. But how? It just doesn't make sense unless, of course, God steps in and does a miracle. Let's try to know these things. Would you say know these things? So we can do them. Say do them. And be blessed. After he finished washing their feet, Jesus put his cloak back on and returned to his place at the table. And then he explained the meaning of what he had done. He began by asking them, do you know what I've done to you? And without waiting for an answer, he said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly, for I am. Therefore, if I, the teacher and Lord, washed your feet, you also ought, and the word means you owe a debt, to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example to be copied. The word he uses, it's unusual. I gave you an example to be copied. So that just as I did to you, you may also do. In other words, he washed their feet to teach them that ongoing sins needed to be cleansed and that they should help one another do so and also to model the fact that humble service was neither beneath him nor them. Humble service was neither beneath him nor us. Do you hear that? Humble service is neither beneath him nor us. If those qualities were not beneath their teacher and Lord, they certainly were not beneath his disciples. And to show them that they were, there were no limits, lower limits on whom they might serve, he revealed how great a distance there was between himself and them. He compared it to the distance between a master and a slave. He was the divine son of God who, while they were created beings who deserved God's judgment, were it not for the fact that he would win mercy for them on the cross. So he said, a slave is not greater than his master. Who is he calling slaves? All, all in favor say aye. It's you. That's who he called the slave. He said, I'm the master and you're the slave. And if I would wash your feet, you could wash anyone's feet. If he, the master, could serve them, the slaves, then they should never think of themselves as too good or too important to serve someone in need. Nor should they ever think of themselves as being independent from him. They would never be anything but his representatives. So he added, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who is sending him. Who, 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 who are the ones who he sends? All in favor say aye. <laughs> Pose, nay, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Knowing how difficult it would be to actually live out this command, he said, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. They would have to strive to maintain these attitudes because pride and the desire to be served always attempt to replace humility and the desire to serve others. So he concluded with a promise. If they would follow his example, and continue to do so, they would be, and we translate that word, blessed. The word John used here, which is often translated as blessed, makarios, means to experience the happiness which comes when someone receives an abundance of the good things given by God, such as love, peace, joy, etc. In other words, Jesus was telling them that a lifestyle of humble service actually produces true happiness. Makarios means this. It means... It means to make something enlarged. You make it bigger, you make it longer, you make it open. In other words, you open space. God, God says, I will, make, I will increase your capacity and I will pour in to your life. Myself. I'll make you bigger. You're able to 
contain more of me. If you'll do this, I'll give you more of me. After the crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus would send his disciples into the world. Their assignment would be to represent him as faithfully as he'd represented his father. And as they fulfilled that assignment, their presence in ministry would expose how people felt about Jesus. And the way people responded to Jesus would expose how they felt about the father. Here's how Jesus said this. The one who receives whomever I send receives me. The one who receives me receives the one having sent me. The heart of God would have expressed to the world by Jesus' disciples just as it had been expressed by Jesus himself. This was the next step in God's plan of salvation. It would greatly expand the possibility of taking the gospel to the whole world. Jesus says, here's the deal. I'm going to leave. And he's going to talk about that leaving now quite a bit. He says, I'm going to, be, I'm going to leave. But when I'm going to send you in my place. And the way they receive you is the way they receive me. And the way they receive me is the way they would receive the Father. Those who love you and see the Christ in you, they're already loving me. When they love me, they love the heart of God. They love the heart of the Father. So we become the representatives. Where do we start? In the mind. It's, it's first of all, a change in attitude. Jesus said, if we know these things, we have to know these things before we can do these things. So as we, as we reflect on what Jesus did and said that evening, we must ask ourselves, what were the lessons he taught? There were at least four. Number one, I must get all the hierarchical thinking out of my mind. If Jesus is willing to do the humblest forms of service, then I must be willing to do the same. No ministry is beneath me. Would you say no ministry is beneath me? People are often uh, sort of stuck on neutral. And, you, and, and they'll say, you know, I really want to serve God, but I just don't know where. I don't know what to do. I don't know what, what's, my, what's my ministry and what's my call. And I actually, I'm all for learning that because, I mean, I wrote a course on it for our school and the whole business. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to that. But I'll tell you where you start. You just look around and say, who needs me? What needs are there? You know, it isn't about position. It isn't about title. It isn't about a career. You just look around and say, Lord, where's, who needs me that I can help? And you just start right there. And it will often be very, very humble. It will often be some need to go, oh, I, I don't want to do that kind of ministry. I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking of something else. Uh, let's, can, you know, can I change the channel there somehow? Um, I've watched this often, but I, I can think of a particular thing years ago. I had a, a, a young man, and I, and I offered him a job with us in our, in our children's ministry. And he wanted to go into the ministry. And we had a, we, we had a, a position opened. I said, would you like to do that? And he says, no, no. He said, I just don't feel called to kids. And I thought to myself, if you won't care for children, why on earth would I trust adults to you? <laughs> Do you hear where I'm going with this? There's, the heart of a true minister isn't picky. You just want people 
You say, well, I maybe not. No, no. There's something in it. There's something in it. When when a person says, no, I don't want to deal with them. I want to deal with adults. If you don't see the potential, if you don't have the compassion that sees these these tender hearts, these young rising ones that can be highly influenced, if you don't get that, why would I just give you position over here? Inside myself, I thought, I wouldn't give you a position for anything. You just cooked it right there. I must get all the hierarchical thinking out of my mind. Did you say that? God loves people. Not, not just certain kinds. God is going after people. What, rich and poor. Broken and well, uh, handsome and, and, and not so handsome, let's just put it that way. And, and whatever you want, however you want to categorize this, in the heart of a true person, a minister. I mean, Jesus has just shown, he is willing to wrap the towel around his waist and do the dirtiest job in the house. And then he says, turns to him and says, if I'll do this for you, and I'm the master and you're the slave, what's beneath you? What feet can't you wash? What's what's too humble a work for you to do if I would do this for you? Well, he just really, he just really took all excuses out of the way. Number two, I must remember who I am in God's sight. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I must always remember what he's done for me. He sent his son to die to wash my sins away. I am no more deserving of honor or better than anyone else. Not only is no ministry beneath me, no person is beneath me. I'm not better or more deserving than anyone else. He called us, and I I know it's offensive, but he did. He called us his slaves. Now, God, when when we come to Jesus Christ, God makes us his children. You and I are the ones that honestly have to make ourselves God's slaves. That Paul calls himself, and I love that, that first verse in the book of Romans. It's just precious to me. Paul says, Paul, a bondservant. We translate it bondservant because we're uncomfortable with the word. The word means slaves. And he says, Paul, a slave of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. And then he says, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. But who makes Paul God's Jesus Christ's slave. Does Jesus make him a slave? No. He, he calls him a child of God. Paul makes Paul. Paul has said, for what you've done for me, for all that you are and the truth that you are, I, have no, I put aside my rights and I live for you all out. Everything I have is yours. My time is yours. As though I were your slave, Jesus Christ, I will live for you with that kind of abandon. That's what he's pointing to. He isn't denigrating us, but he says, if I, your Lord and Master, would do this for you, I want you. To, uh, uh, no person, no ministry is beneath you, no matter how sick, how broken, how lost, how troubled. Number three, I must remove all self-righteousness from my heart and gladly help to restore believers who have been wounded or have fallen into sin. 
Just as Jesus continues to wash my feet by interceding for me before the Father, I must wash the feet of my brothers and sisters. He said, I want you to do this for one another. Would you say one another? Who was in that room? It was 12 disciples. Yeah, they were all Christians, roughly. Well, it was one who's a ringer, Judas. Uh, but, but, they, but he says, I want you to wash one another's feet. So there's a, there is in all of this thing where he's telling us to love each other that way, to care for other Christians. To if, when someone falls, when someone stumbles, to help restore them, when someone's really broken, to help heal them. We have a deep obligation to one another. Before, within minutes, he's going to say this. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. This is my commandment that I give for you, to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. He tells us to love each other. Now, it's almost easier to love the world in a certain sense than people you know real well. You know, and you, you, you look at the brokenness and you look at the situations and people around us. He tells us, wash one another's feet. Would you say that? Wash one another's feet. Yeah, that's, that's us. And then number four, I must remember that the goal of my life is to represent Jesus well. Not become admired or be thanked for my service. I am his representative. When people watch me, I want them to see Jesus and be drawn to him. If people are really impressed with, with, with you or me when, we're, when, you're, when you're through ministering, there's a certain failure in that. When, when we've really ministered effectively, people have, almost, have forgotten you. <laughs> you have carried them past yourself, you might say. And, and what you've done is brought them to him. And they've fallen in love with him. And they've seen him. And, and it's not about us. Do these things. The promise Jesus made that night is conditional. He said, and let's read it again. Would you read it with me? If you know these things, you are blessed, happy, if you do these things. Knowing is not the same as doing. And it, it's in the doing, not the knowing that we experience happiness. It's in the actual process of serving that a deep work takes place within us. We are driven to desperation by the demands of service. We constantly sense our own inadequacies and feel overwhelmed by challenges which confront us. And that suffering which comes with serving others drives us closer to God. Here's the secret. Here's why he says, if you'll wash feet, you'll get happy. When you and I begin to serve one another, when you pick up any form of ministry, people have said, what kind of thing should I do? I think to myself, anything. Because all ministry has, is, is very similar. All ministry is opposed by the enemy. Every time you go to minister, you feel that sense of inadequacy. You're going, oh, Jesus, be with me, you know, and then he is, you know, and afterward you go, that was cool, you know, and then you go right back into the cycle again. This process is just, it's, it's, it's up and down emotionally and, and the pressures of it and, and, and the demands of it. All ministry is hard and all ministry is wonderful, but here's what it does. It drive, either a person is driven closer to God. You go, man, I have got to have God or I'm toast. Or we burn out. And we turn the other way and say, well, I'm not in for this. 
And therein is the happiness. It drives me closer to God. Let me just share personally. I think one of the greatest gifts the Lord did for me was to call me. And actually, he, I don't know if he called. He insisted that I be a pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. I had other plans. Um, and he really insisted on it. And you need to know something. I am sort of by nature an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. You can't tell right now, but I'm not. Uh, I, I'm, I'm an introvert. And I'm also quite self-centered. <laughs> and I like to sit and worry about myself. Now, as I said in the early part of this message, self-centeredness is very depressing. If you leave me alone, I'll pretty much take my pulse and going, how am I feeling? I'm not happy right now. wonder why not. I'll spend my time worrying and thinking. I go inward. My tendency is to turn inward, to look inside and sort of look around and say, how am I doing? And boy, the more I do that, the lower I go. It's just a spiral. The more I look inside, the worse it looks. And, or, or I can sit and worry about the world and the nation and the condition of this or that or the other thing, and I just spiral down. Is anybody else in the room like me? <laughs> Am I alone? Oh, good. Four of us. Well, we should start a small group. Yeah. And I don't think everybody's the same. I do think that this is a tendency. But here's what happens. He made me to be a pastor. Do you, you know what that requires? I have to serve you. Oh, go figure. Yeah. I, it was really evident when, uh, when I was first a, a youth minister. I guess this is really when I got my baptism by fire. And so there I am, you know, I have been ministering to this little group of, of um, young people, high school students I started with. Actually, I started with junior high. And I'd have to, there I am kind of in my, my dour mood, and now i got to go minister to them. And so very often, I mean, this was just quite normal. I would, I would get in my car, and I'd stick my head in the steering wheel, and i go, oh, God, I don't want to go. Oh, don't make me go. Oh, Lord. You know, oh, help. I haven't got anything to say. I don't even think they like me. I'm not sure I like them. Oh, God. Help me. I, no answer from heaven, as you might have. So I, I back my car up, and I drive there. And then I'd come, I was in this fireside room, and, and I'd come walking around with my Bible and my guitar, you know, and I'd peek around the glass, and I'd look in there, and there, there they all are, waiting for me. Holy king! All right. And then I have to, you know, I have to take my guitar out and lead them in worship. And I got to tell you, I'm feeling a little bit better as I worship here. You know, and I take the word out, and now we're going to preach and talk, and then we have maybe communion together, we talk together. By the end of the evening, I'm feeling Great! And then I go through this again. I've been doing that for 40-some years. <laughs> I did it today. <laughs> I did. I did. But what's happened is by having to serve, having to care for someone else, I am 
forcibly yanked out of myself. And that is the mercy of God that stuck me in a situation and made me do that. It's kept me sane. It's kept me to be a decent human being because I constantly have to need him. Today, I did it today. Oh, Lord Jesus, I need your strength. I need your grace. Come help me. I'm, I'm in tongues. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pressing in, laying hold of God so that he will be there and help me. And you know what? I can tell you after 40 uh, almost 46 years of ministry, he has never in 46 years failed me. He won't fail you either, may I say this? I'm saying that's, if you, you don't let those insecurities, don't let the, the, the don't, don't say, well, I'm an introvert, so what, so am I. Who cares? You let him push you into the places he wants you. And yes, it'll hurt. And yes, it'll stretch you. You know what it'll do? It'll drive you closer to God. I had a day yesterday, and I was just, as I was preparing the message and thinking, and I, it was a beautiful day, if you remember. And, and I just was walking through my backyard, and the sweetness of God was so strong. His closeness. And I just, I, I just thought about my my wife and my children, I thought about you. I, I, you've become a joy to me. You're a wonderful congregation to be part of. I'm not just flattering you. I'm just telling you, you really are awesome. You do all kinds of ministries, and it's just a blessing to be part of it. And so I'm, I'm, feel, and I'm just feeling this, this here comes, happiness. <laughs> I was deeply and genuinely happy just walking through the backyard last, yesterday. Because I've had to be driven close to God. And I've had to wash feet. And in the course of it, I get my heart changed. The secret to happiness is to let God put you in a place where you're overwhelmed, where you're, where you're out of your league, when you're out of your depth, where you're desperate, and, and let that desperation drive you to him. And he will not fail you. He will be with you, and his grace will be upon you. And therein is our happiness. In other words, knowing the truths, knowing the truths Jesus taught that evening, and doing them produces a desperation which drives us to find a real relationship with God. Without him, we simply can't go on. When we're close to him, we are full of life because in him is life. We feel whole. Loved, peaceful, joyful, filled with, the, with hope for the future. We are receiving the blessing Jesus spoke about. This is the happiness he promised. In the course of this life of service, our priorities radically change. We pursue an entirely different set of goals. The things that are important to God are what become important to us. We learn to live boldly because people are more important than our safety. And we treasure every day of our lives. Look at this. We learn to live boldly, and even though we're introverted or timid, we learn to live boldly because people are more important than our safety. Did you hear that? I got to do this. Yeah, I'm scared. I got to do it. They, I got to do this. Here we go. Oh, Jesus, hang on. And, you, you, and he's with you. And then be, we treasure Every day of our lives. Talk about, talk about undoing depression. 
which wishes you could die at any moment. If you just had the guts, you'd, that kind of thing. We treasure every day of our lives because there is so much to do for Jesus and so little time to do it. When I was at the at, uh, at seminary, there was a professor there, short little ball guy. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's my kind of man. And he, his name was Donald O'Gavran. He was a, a, a famous missionary. He's been, I don't know how many, 30 years, I think, in, in, uh, in India. And, and uh, he really loved the Lord. He always made me cry when he preached. And, uh, but I, as I, I was, I, over the years, I was around enough to have wa- I watched as he got older and older. Um, and he came in near death. He, that, that, that man was writing writing like his heart out. And I talked to somebody who knew him, knew him well, and he said, he's writing like crazy because he knows he doesn't have much longer left. And he's got books in him. He's got to get finished. Do you hear that? This is what I mean by you treasure every day because there's so much to do for Jesus and so little time to do it. No, no, no longer are you despairing. Oh, I've got to kind of live out my days while I finally find peace. When your heart's devoted to others, when, it's, when the eye has turned off of us and onto them, when we get it and see how the Lord loves we begin to treasure every day we have. And he was just writing his heart out, writing books, great books, by, may I add. He's one of the great, great authors of, of missiology. And writing these books, pouring his heart out, everything he knew so he could leave it to the next generation. He, I think he died writing a book. It's just literally while he's still, still, still in the process. He used every single day. When, when a person has an outward look, when, when I'm living to wash feet, when I'm, when I'm involved in people's lives, it produces in me a hunger. I want the word. I want to worship. I need to be with other Christians. It wakens me. When I, when I come to church like that, I'm just thinking, I'm like a, like a baby bird. You know, just give me food. Give me something. Lord, feed me. I, I need to be strengthened, man. I got to go back out onto the, onto the field. <laughs> it's like halftime. A person who does not, a person who's inward, does not have that kind of hunger. So when they come to church, they're looking more for entertainment. And what happens in time is church becomes any kind of church, no matter who it is or what it is, becomes boring. Because, you know, what's the point? One of the, we have these things called summer mission. The thing I, one of the things I really like about it is I can eat like a horse and not gain a pound. <laughs> I'm working like a dog, man. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sweating and I'm just grimy and everything else. But I can just chow down. And so they serve all of this food and I'm eating my head off and not gaining any weight. It's really wonderful. But if I eat like that and didn't work, ooh, wouldn't be pretty. You, you, do you see what I'm, where I'm going with this? When you and I are serving, when you and I are in wherever God has placed us, and there's a, there's a million ways we serve. Yours, yours will be unique to you. What he gives to you to do is different to what he gives to me to do or someone else to do. But when I'm pouring my heart out, doing what he's called me to do, I get really hungry. 
I really get hungry. I have time in the Word at home. I, 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 I love being with you and other believers. I, I, I need that so I can get back into the battle. But if I don't have that, I'm just looking for something interesting, entertaining, and not more than 60 minutes. Let's just get this over with. So we said we did it. You see the difference? We love gathering with other believers because we can sense that we all belong to the same family, and it's invigorating to be with others who are serving the same Lord. Without pursuing happiness, we find ourselves happy. And that happiness comes from a very different source than it used to. What made us happy in the past doesn't make us happy anymore. And what makes us happy now, we would never have understood before. Jonathan quoted it uh, there with Asaph from Psalm 73. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Would you say that? But as for me, the nearness of God. Service, foot washing, caring for people, giving and pouring out drives me. Desperately to need him. Or away. I go one way or the other. But if I'll go in, if I'll press in, if I'll lay hold of him, I find the nearness of God. And that is my good. Shalom. The happiness Jesus promises is very different from the world's. But it's very real. It's not a shallow passing emotion. You might call it an atmosphere. Because it's the presence of God abiding with us and transforming every part of our lives. He provides, he protects, he guides, he fills, fills us with love for one another so that in time, as we actually do the selfless things he said to do, our circumstances and our relationships heal and mature until it feels like we are living in a different world. The word used in the Hebrew Bible for this wonderful sense of happiness is shalom. Do you want to say shalom? shalom. It's that rich peace that comes when... God lives among us. Everything changes. Chaos gives way to order. Sorrow gives way to joy. Confusion gives way to purpose. And strife gives way to love. But shalom doesn't come by praying for it. It comes by doing something for a long time. Did you hear that? It comes by knowing what Jesus meant that evening and then doing it. A life of service. Humans are born into this world focused on our own needs. To shift our attention outward from self to others requires a profound decision. And then much vigilance to prevent ourselves from returning to old habits. A life of service is the result of countless decisions. To put someone else's needs ahead of our own. And yes, of course, we have to set boundaries because there are always more needs than there is time or energy to meet them. But there is no escaping the fact that a selfless life is costly. And there are many obstacles. For example, a person who chooses to be selfless may in time feel moments of envy toward those who have lived for self and acquired an abundance of goods and pleasures. Just this past week, I was talking to one of our staff, and I, I know his, I've known him forever, and, and I've known his history. And I said to him, because he's really become a good minister, and I said, you know, I really appreciate the decision you made. Because I remember years ago, he was offered, a, his, the salary he turned down to come to work for us was $250,000 a year. Back when? 
back when? And I said, if, if you had, if you stayed on the course you were on, you'd be living on Mercer Island. And instead, you're working for the big bucks with us. <laughs> he made a choice. And I've seen it so many times. You know, you talk about all these rich pastors, and there must be some. <laughs> it's what I hear. But I will tell you, the pastors I know, men and women, are for the most part poor and giving everything. More and more, they are bivocational. I know, I know many people, not just a few, I know many who are working all week so they can preach and minister all weekend. And they go right back to it. It's very hard on them. Very hard on them physically and emotionally. They're, they're just pouring it out. I know, I know pastors in our, just in our area I know who've, who've left positions. One in one of the big high-tech corporations. He was the number three guy on a startup. And he left that to become a pastor. That company's huge. He'd have been, he'd have been a multi-billionaire, I suppose. But he left that to serve Jesus. See, there is a cost to this. There is a cost to serving at, at, at every level. There is a cost to serving. And I, I'd be dishonest if I didn't say that. Caring for others also tends to bring with it an emotional burden. We can face surges of sorrow or worry for those we serve. And family members and friends who haven't chosen a selfless life usually do not understand why we do what we do. They may even despise us for wasting our lives and demand to know why we spend so much time caring for those people. For those and many other reasons, a life of service is not a painless life. But Jesus said it will be a blessed life in which the heart will find a mysterious peace and God's closeness will bring us great happiness. The choice. For some of us, Jesus' words today are a reminder of why we do what we're doing. For others, he's holding a door open and calling to us, saying, follow me, and I will lead you to the source of happiness. I will teach you where to find what you've always been looking for. That change can start today. It's our choice. Would you stand with me? Praise you, Jesus. For many of us, this is a reminder of why you do what you do. And for some, the Lord's holding a door open, saying, you've been sad. You've been inward. Come out. Come out. Don't, don't stay in a place focused anymore on that. It's depressing. It'll leave you discouraged and dry and angry. The place you find your happiness is by washing feet. Follow me. I'll show you where. And he'll lead you to some, some need, some person. He'll just show you. Your heart will, will see it. And you just step out and you begin to minister there. And then that lead, way leads to way. I like that line from Robert Frost. Way leads on to way. It just seems like when you step out in that, and then all of a sudden another thing opens, and another thing opens, and this happens, and then all of a sudden there you are, up to your ears, <laughs> in various kinds of needs, and the Lord, the Lord drawing you and teaching you, and you having to press in and find him. 
Jesus says that's where happiness is. And, and I believe him. Holy Spirit, we just give you our hearts this day. We ask you to, to open our eyes, our spiritual eyes. Lord, if, where, if, wherever we are, if, Lord, for those who are weary and those who are serving and giving hard, I thank you, Lord, that you are more than enough for us, that you are, you are there and that you are faithful, that it, no matter what the pressures are and no matter what the insecurities are and the, and the sense of, of self-doubt, you overcome those things. And as we step out, as we hang on to you, you will not fail us forever. We confess it. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Would you say that? We can do all things through Christ. And then, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will call to the hearts right now who are just trapped in fear and confusion. I don't know what I would do. I don't know how to do it. Is it too late? All of those kinds of questions, Lord. You would just draw your... Your, your, your child, and pull that person out and help them, Lord. See feet that need to be washed and give them the courage to take that first step. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will do that. We thank you for the happiness that you bring us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If that's your prayer, if you agree with that, would you say amen? amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.